Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the CMYK Talks podcast. My name is Seth Hirschkorn. It's nice to be with you on this fine day. Quick reminder, November 25th, there will be no uh, gathering at the Art House in Billings, Montana, if that's a way that you join us. Um, yeah, no gathering. It's a Sabbath weekend, Sabbath Sunday, Sabbath gathering, all that stuff. So um, rest, enjoy the long holiday. You earned it. So please feel free to relax and um, don't go to Art House if that's something you normally do. Um, for those of you that don't, hi, good to be with you. Um, Matt um, Matt kind of gives me these like off weeks to teach. This like what I mean by off week is like it's not really a part of a series, just kind of standalone talk. Um, and he always is very gracious enough to give them to me, and I'm always um, willing to take them because I always think I have things to say. So this time I thought I had something to say, and as I was working through this idea, um, I had a conversation with my roommate Grant um, over a beer one night, and I was telling him about this idea of, you know, like leaving evangelical Christianity and still looking back at it with fondness, and and, uh, Grant was like, yeah, I'm not there yet, and I was like, oh, well, maybe not a lot of people are, and maybe, gosh, maybe I'm not ready to talk about it. So I was really nervous this week because I I didn't have something to say. And it was really nerve wracking. Um, it felt kind of weird, honestly, um, because for two months I've been thinking about this idea and, uh, then it kind of fell apart this week. Um, thankfully our good friend, Tyler Murphy, who runs an art gallery here in Billings, um, he does this thing called story night and on story nights, he invites people just to share their story. And so I was actually prepping a story for story night and uh, I'm actually going to use that story to, uh, with a couple added layers of detail and I, and thought and reflection to talk at you with this morning. So um, I guess, yeah, here's here's my story this morning. My whole life, I feel like I've been looking for certainty. Um, I remember from an early age, I feel like I spun into chaos quite, quite soon um, when I was young. Uh, early, like even before my teen years, my father, he uh, got in a car accident and hurt his back really bad. And this led to five back surgeries and um, disability and us finding ourselves on welfare and my dad never working again and my mom taking care of my dad. And so from a young age, I just remember there being like this chaotic feel to life. Um, Before that was actually not chaos. It felt kind of normal, whatever normal might be for a childhood. And uh, once that once that once that happened to my dad, it just felt like chaos ensued, and uh, and I remember being young and just always wondering when I was going to find certainty because I looked at the people around me, the friends I had, the people I knew, and their lives seemed very put together and certain. Now that was my perception; might not have been true, but from the outside looking in, I had this idea of what certainty was supposed to be: uh, financial certainty emotional certainty or st- you know, even the word stability is a good word too, but certainty just became this um, this um, prize that someday I would find or this thing I would someday find. And um, I remember uh, I remember thinking, how do all these people have so much certainty about so many different ideas? Like uh, religion was always some of one of them. And, and I found myself for a while finding certainty in, in Christianity, but I, I watch, always watched other people have so much certainty in who God was and what God was. Or politics. Like politics was another one where I just found that people were so certain about life and how it works. Um, I remember uh, I remember getting a, my first job at 15, and I remember uh, 
getting a job at Taco Bell in, in, in the Heights of the Billings area. And I, uh, I remember that I did that so that I could help my parents pay bills. Um, now granted I had some really cool luxuries, maybe not else to other students had, like I had a car and car insurance, but I was paying for it myself. And, uh, but I remember giving my parents money to help them out. And I remember just wanting to contribute to the family. And it wasn't ever, I wasn't ever told to, but I felt like there was this expectation. Nah, maybe not expectation. Just like, like I should have done that to help. But I always remember like that just felt so chaotic because my friends weren't doing that. Like my friends had jobs and they got to save their money or spend it on other things. And I was like, yeah, well, this one's going to pay the electric bill. Um, and it was just really weird for me. So I was always, I was always like hungry for certainty always. Um, I I remember, uh, as I got older, I'd watch people interact with uh, Christianity in particular, and they'd always have things like life verses and they'd be so certain of, of, uh, the Bible and what the Bible says about life and about God. And I remember even for a time I had life verses, but after a while, those just, and sorry, for those who don't know, like a life versus just these verses that people attach to that, that kind of explain life or get them through hard times or, or make sense of the world around them. And I had these for a while, but they stopped working. <laughs> I remember, uh, one of the one of the uh, life verses I love to hate is uh, Romans eight twenty eight, which I'm not even going to look it up and quote it for you, but it basically goes along the lines of like, God does good things for those who love Him. Um, and if if you're listening and you feel like I grossly misquoted that, my apologies, but because I'm not going to look it up right now, and so I'm sorry. Uh, but I remember loving to hate that one because I was like, well, I like God, I love God. Where's where where's my bone thrown towards me? I remember, uh, I remember growing up and people being really drawn to politics. I came from a household that my mom was a Republican and dad was a Democrat. And oh boy, was that fun. Holidays. We just had the most riveting conversations. I mean, arguments. I mean, conversations. And um, it just it just spun out of control so quickly. And I, I always remember too, like my parents would whisper little things in my ears about this president's being good or that president's terrible or this is why Republicans suck and this is why Democrats suck. And I was always like stuck in the middle of these two thoughts. And I was like, well, why? You're both saying the same thing. All you're doing is pointing the finger and saying someone sucks. And But they were so certain that their ideas um, centered their lives. And I, I just remember feeling this state of chaos all the time, just looking for certainty or something like a platform to rest my life upon so I would be okay and wouldn't be stuck in the chaos anymore. So yeah, I feel like that's been the best way to describe most of my life is just chaos. And in that chaos, a search for certainty. <clears throat> um, I, I this, this happened, yeah, throughout my childhood and throughout my teens. And then um, I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like this conversation of certainty is so unique also because whether it's religion and people thinking what they think about God and finding certainty there or politics and people thinking they have the right political platform or ideas to make the world a better place or gosh even something as trivial as sports like you know I remember I've been I've been talking to some like Georgia fans this week and they're just convinced they're just convinced that Georgia's going to beat Alabama and guess what I don't know if that's going to happen because Alabama's really really good right now um, but I can't be certain, but they're so certain George is going to win. And I'm sitting here going like, I wish I could have some form of certainty, any form of certainty in my life, because everything just seems like it's so up for conversation and debate where I just, I just can't put certainty on anything. And so this has kind of just been the story of my life for a long time is this chaotic struggle to find something to rest on or to find, to use the word, to find peace in. 
Um, I met Michaela, my current wife, when um, when I was 13 years old. 13 years old, we met. Um, and we actually started dating when we were 16. We dated off and on throughout high school, and then we decided to get married at around the age of 19, and we got married at 20. And for the first time in my life, I felt like something was certain, that that there was a person who brought me joy and happiness and goodness, that there was certainty to my life, and there was some stability, and it was really, really good. Around that same time, I got hired as a pastor for the first time, and I felt like uh, I felt like my job was to teach people certainty about this thing called Christianity, and it felt really, really good to have these two things in my life that I was so certain about, that my marriage was certain, and this job was certain, and there was, for the first time, this this chaos didn't seem like it was temporarily fixed. It felt like it might have been permanently fixed for me, that there was order to the chaos, and it felt really, really good that I got to be married to this really great woman who loved me no matter what. And I got to have this job where I got to find confidence in what I did. But um, unfortunately for me, I feel like my narrative of chaos isn't going to go away anytime soon. And the certainty around those things, um, unfortunately, the layers started to peel back. So as most of you know, my story as a pastor... um, in my mid, mid-20s, 25, 26, the, the layers start to peel back of certainty, and I start to question my faith and wrestle with the job as a pastor, and I go through this thing called deconstruction, and and I've done a couple podcasts on it, and feel free to go back and listen to it, but ultimately what happens is this certainty I once had about this job just eventually crumbles and falls away, that, that the certainty I once held just like sand through my fingers falls away and I'm left with nothing once again that for a long time in my job, it was chaotic. And then I moved on from the job and it became even more chaotic because not only did the job go away with the certainty there, but gosh, my faith went away with it. And I sit here talking to you as a person that considers himself agnostic because I don't know what to believe anymore, that I was so certain about something for so long. Gosh, I taught, I literally told people what to believe for a career from a spiritual standpoint. And now I'd look back at it and go, I don't know if that's true. And marriage, marriage was this thing that was so certain that there was this woman who brought so much joy and goodness to my life. And, and if I'm being completely honest with you, my wife and I are at a place now where we're in counseling and I don't know if my marriage is going to make it. It's really hard to admit when you're speaking that into a microphone and there's no one to, I guess, uh, feel the emotions with you looking you in the eye. But, you know, and, and Michaela knows I'm talking about this and honestly, we're good. But um, I'm at a place in my late 20s where these two things I thought were so certain are are possibly becoming no more. I mean, the job as a pastor for sure is gone. And now this thing I, I once held to be certain, marriage, is potentially crumbling too, that there's deconstruction happening in that and the wheels are falling off that. And and if I can just be honest with you, McKinnon and I are actually really, really good right now. We just don't know if this thing's going to last. And that's hard to admit because it's scary and it's just hard. And then to, to add another layer of complexity for me on top of all of it, we've been doing counseling and we meet with our counselor and she's just really freaking brilliant chick named Susan. She's just, she's seriously awesome. But at our last session, we're sitting there with Susan and we're talking about our marriage and we kind of are dancing around this 
constant topic of expectation and what the world expects our marriage to be. And she said to us, she said, you guys really, for some reason, lean into the expectations of other people a lot. She said, what do you expect of yourselves and of your marriage? What do you expect of yourself as a human being? And then what do you expect of your marriage? And I crumbled. I crumbled like the bills in a Super Bowl. It was so awful because I had realized in that moment that the last 29 years of my life have been me living up to the attempted expectations of other people. And even my marriage over the last nine years is nothing but built upon the expectations of others and nothing that we have created. So on top of my marriage potentially not working out, I came to realization that I don't know who the heck I am as a human being. And I felt so small, worthless, and tiny that I I don't know who I am. And I feel like I'm back to being that little boy, again, living in my household in Lockwood, of uncertainty and chaos. And I feel like I'm just back at this place of chaos, and I don't know what to do. That the, the few things I maybe held certain are gone. And the one thing I didn't even hold certain, which is what I thought I knew about myself, I, I it's just not even there. I don't know who I am. And and that's really hard for me to, again, speak into this microphone to, to, to talk to you and be in your ear right now and say, I'm in a complete state of chaos and I have no idea what to do. I noticed that in the midst of my chaos... I've always been really drawn to good stories. Um, and, and one of the things that this weird, unique place of life has offered me is that when I look back on my once Christian life, there's this thing that was a part of that called the Bible that I still look at with an immense amount of fondness. In fact, now that I'm agnostic, I actually enjoy reading the Bible more than when I did when I was a Christian. Because I feel like it's really full of good stories, stories that are not literal, but stories that contain a lot of truth, because literal and true are not the same thing. And so I'm going to read you a story. Um, I've actually talked about this story before along the lines of, I can't be good without you, this this kind of this, this place I'm trying to build up my life of looking at the people around me and really trusting them to make my life better, that I need them. Um but I'm going to read this story, and I think there's this one unique little detail tucked away in this story that is often brushed over. Because the way this Judeo-Christian story goes is that there's chaos, and there's a person called God or a thing called God that brings order to the chaos, and there's like this moment of in there's like this moment of peaceful bliss and goodness when the chaos is brought to order. But then what happens is chaos re-ensues. It like spins out of control again into chaos, and we're, we're, we're left in this place where chaos reigns until the day that, I guess, Jesus comes back. And I'm sorry if, if that's your belief system. I'm sorry if I've completely, grossly um, simplified that. Please forgive me, um, but I don't have time to read the whole Bible today. Um, but I am going to read you guys this story. It's Genesis chapter 2, and I just want I want to read you this story, and I want you to notice one little detail tucked away in this story, and then I'm going to kind of maybe ask a few more questions and just tell you where I'm at, because I'm at a weird spot. I'm at a place of chaos, and I'm, I'm leaning into this story for something that might be a potential guidepost, road sign, mile marker, anything to where I'm at right now. So this is Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. 
These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. When the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and oxen stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, Eat of it. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And then man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam... There was still not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it into a woman and brought her to the man. And then he said, or then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because out of, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And this is the verse that I am capturing onto today. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. There's this story of chaos and God spinning creation into order. Out of the chaos comes creation and order, and man and woman are created, and they're put in this garden to work the field, and the woman is made to be a perfect helper for the man. The man is not alone because it's not good for man to be alone. But even more importantly than not being alone, there's a verse tucked away that says they were naked and they were not ashamed. And it's here that I potentially find myself with you today. It's hard to admit certain things like your faith system going away when it was so comfortable and offered so much certainty. It's hard to admit certain things to people like my marriage might not make it because it's scary and I'm not sure what people are going to think of me and I'm insecure. But there's something in this story that is so profound that man and woman exist in this place called paradise perfectly. That it's not just that they're together. It's that they're together and they're naked, and they're not ashamed, that they are completely open, honest, and vulnerable with one another. 
that this is the image of paradise, that we don't, I have no idea how long this lasted. And what's so crazy to me is it's only one sentence because there's chaos and creation. One little sentence about not being, well, a chunk about not being alone. One sentence about being naked and unashamed. And then the very next verse after that, it starts out talking about the ser- serpent and, and man and woman spinning back into chaos. And I'm, I'm sitting here in a chaotic life right now wondering what is it like to be in paradise, to be naked and not ashamed for one freaking moment? That, that what if it isn't about certainty? What if it's just about finding ourselves in moments of paradise where we get to be naked and not ashamed? I recently had the chance to hang out with Matt Blakesley and it's something we hadn't done in a while. Um, we had the chance one Saturday to go to lunch and go grab a coffee, and it was oh, it was so wonderful because we we picked a little restaurant we both like in Billings, and and we went and sat down, and adorably because we're the cutest couple around, we ordered the exact same meal, tofu pad thai. Yeah, go ahead, mock us. That's that's great. It was delicious. But I had a good laugh because we we order the same meal and we're just having so much fun. It's like we're two like young schoolboys giddy about like a sleepover and we just got to hang out and talk. And it was it was at this meal that I first revealed to Matt some of my marriage struggles and what's going on with me and Michaela and us going to counseling and my worries and fears and insecurities. And 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 I pour my heart out to Matt just like I've done before with where I'm at religiously and spiritually. And and I did it about my marriage and and Matt. All he said back to me was, I love you. And and in this one singular moment of pouring my soul out, the response to me was, I love you. Not, not fear or worry or concern or shame or guilt or advice or prayer or scripture. It was nothing of the conventional mode of, of fixing. It was simply, I love you. And for one singular moment in the last months, maybe year of my life, I felt like I was in paradise, that I was naked and not ashamed because I got to bare my soul to my friend Matthew. And his only response to me was, I love you. There's other people in my life, like my friend Larry, who I get to bear my soul to in the dirtiest parts of me, and he receives me as I am and just tells me he loves me. My friend Grant, who's my roommate and becoming one of my best friends, that we sit on my back porch and we drink beer and we talk about life, and I share the parts of me that I'm disgusted by, and he just smiles at me and says he loves me. It's those moments that I'm in paradise. It's the moments I hang out with my friend Sydney. And she has no bearing of judgment or concern or guilt or shame or anything for my life. That she only receives me as me. I wonder that if in the midst of chaos, if what I'm craving is just these moments to be in paradise. That it's not about being certain. It's simply about being naked and not ashamed. It seems to me that this taste of paradise comes when we are completely honest about who we are and where we're at. That the story goes to be naked and not ashamed in the midst of chaos on both sides of us bookending the paradise is for us just to be honest about who we are and where we're at. And that's why I'm not going to hide from you as a community of people who I love and I trust. You know, I, I, I attend CMYK on the weekends and I go to the art house in Billings and and there have been so many weeks 
that I wonder why the hell am I still walking in this place? Because I don't believe this to be necessarily true. I don't look at the Bible with this certainty or with this 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 pillar of truth. But I walk in the doors of that art house to see a community of people who embrace me just where I am every single time, and it wrecks me. It, it, it humbles me. It's so beautiful that I get to walk into the CMYK community, and I get to be naked and not ashamed. And I know the same invitation goes for any other person that walks in there. And I know that because for some reason Matt Blakesley gives me a mic and tells me to talk about this crazy, messy thing called life, and I'm still embraced. And that's got to mean that any other person that does that is, is right there, right there too. And so for me, that there's these slivers and these moments in time where I get to be in paradise, where I get to be with another human and be completely vulnerable and honest, that it's not just, it's not just about being with someone. It's not about not being alone. It's about not being alone and being completely naked and not ashamed to just be you and embrace who you are and where you're at right now. That the power of this story is this one little sliver of a verse that they were naked and not ashamed that they gave that to each other. I'm a hot mess right now, guys. I don't know what is going on in life. I'm in this state of chaos like you wouldn't believe. And it's these moments of honesty and vulnerability of being naked and not ashamed that I know it's going to be okay. That for those simple moments, I'm in paradise and I'm going to be okay. So now I got to spin this around on you. And I have to ask the question what does it look like for you to step into paradise? To step into a place in the midst of all the chaos and simply embrace the fact that you get to be naked and not ashamed, that there's an invitation for you to be vulnerable and honest and open about who you are and where you're at. And it is freaking terrifying. Okay? terrifying. But every time I've taken a chance on it, it's been received really, really well. Every time I've taken a chance on it with people like Matt or Larry or Grant or Sydney or Michaela, gosh, especially Michaela, like any person I've leaned into to be honest with, to be naked and not ashamed, it's been received so well. And I guess that's my ask of you is what does it look like for you to exist in the chaos, but to be naked and not ashamed and find little moments where you get to exist in paradise. I recently became a teacher, sixth grade social studies, and these students just wear me out, but I love them so much. And since I became a teacher, I have one classroom rule, and I caught some criticism for only having this one rule because some people have more rules, some people have not a lot of rules. I have one rule in my classroom, and that rule is, if you are honest with me, I will be honest with you. And some days that makes for some very unique conversation and challenges, and other days a sixth grader looks at me and says, Mr. Hirschkorn, I'm having a terrible day because my parents fought all night last night and I don't know what to do. And I look at them and I, and I say, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Thank you for being honest with me. I've been there. 
or they look at me and say, Mr. Hirschcrum is having a really bad day. Maybe, you know, just the, the girl I really like, like someone else, and I'm just crushed for them, but they're so honest and they're so vulnerable. And I'm inviting them into this place of paradise that they get to be honest because what I don't want is I don't want them to be 29 years old like me and just now embracing this, this honesty of being naked and not ashamed. I want them to start early. So in the midst of the chaos that is life, they can find these moments of paradise in the garden where they're not alone and they are completely vulnerable and honest. And I offer you the same opportunity. If you're honest with me, I'll be completely honest with you. Because I think it's in this honesty, in this being naked and not ashamed that we find rest and we find paradise. And by the way, I am not certain about this at all. It's just my very, my very limited experience in it recently. So please hear me there. Being honest and vulnerable is difficult, but I, I really, really have loved all the moments I've done it. So go. Do your best to be naked and not ashamed. Go get naked with someone. <laughs> go, go experience paradise. I hope that goes well for you. As always, thanks for letting me talk. Thanks for letting me sometimes ramble. Thanks for letting me get things off my chest. Thanks for letting me process. Thanks for, and most importantly, thanks for letting me be honest with you. That means the most to me. If you guys need anything, know that we love you. We're here for you. Please, please reach out to us if you need something. So with that, you are deeply loved and go be naked, not ashamed honest and vulnerable and see if you just might find yourself in a state of paradise in the midst of the chaos. You are loved. Have a good one.